Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. Episode 181, Ak en Amun. Effective for Amun. Today, the ancient builders are embarking on one of their most famous monuments. The great hypostyle hall at Karnak is a world famous structure. It was King Seti I, Men Ma'at Ra, who commissioned this monument. This episode comes to you on behalf of Veronica, who joined the Patreon as a priest for an entire year. Veronica, thank you so much. You are outrageously generous. With your help, we can buy good quality sandstone and commission the majestic wall carvings. Surely, Amun, Mut, Patar, and Ra will give you many blessings. To everyone listening, thank you for joining me. Before we begin, a couple of quick notes. Firstly, this episode won't cover every aspect of the Hypostyle Hall. The monument is huge, and a massive topic for discussion. Today, I want to keep things manageable and focus on the historical questions. I want to talk about the design and symbolism, what Seti was intending here, the purpose of the monument, what it actually contributes to Karnak, and finally, how Seti imagined this work, what he was offering and receiving in the House of the Gods. I won't cover the building process, how the ancients planned and constructed the monument. That aspect is vital and fascinating, but it requires a lot of visual material to really explain it properly. I tried to write a script that incorporated all that, but it just wound up too confusing. So I'll have to leave the building process for a YouTube video in the future. For now, let's stick to the essentials. Secondly, a quick note on the sources. The art and hieroglyphs of Seti's hypostyle hall are beautiful, some of the best in Karnak. Fortunately, generations of researchers have documented, reproduced, and published these records. If you would like to see the art of Seti's monument, or read the elaborate texts, you can do so for free. The epigraphic survey from the University of Chicago has published some very impressive books about Seti's hypostyle hall, and they've made those books available to the public on their website. To see the volumes, and maybe follow along with my narrative, simply follow the link in the episode description. Or you can do a web search for Chicago Great Hypostyle. The two volumes should be the first result. They are wonderful resources, and I highly recommend them. Now then, enough preamble. Let us return to the Nile Valley and its many beautiful monuments. In 1302 BCE, King Seti I came to Karnak. The House of Amun in the city of Waset, or Thebes, 
Karnak was a sprawling site, and it had grown rapidly over the past few decades. Kings like Amunhotep III and Horemheb had added enormous buildings to the temple. Great pylons and courtyards now stretched in all directions. Around 1302, Karnak may have been the largest temple in Egypt. Now, Seti would add something special. When it comes to Karnak and Seti I, there is one monument that towers above all. The king's great contribution to the House of Amun is the Hypostyle Hall. This is a vast court filled with columns, and it is easily the most famous landmark in this temple. The Hypostyle Hall appears constantly in documentaries about ancient Egypt. You know the shot. A camera pans slowly through the hall, gazing on the columns. A presenter wanders around, looking up in silent awe. Or they stand beside a pillar, hands spread wide, to encompass the grandeur all around. Today the hall is filled with folks strolling in awe, or walking very carefully to get the perfect social media photo. Of Egypt's many monuments, the Hypostyle Hall is easily one of the most famous and the most photographed. Visual fame aside, the Hypostyle Hall is a wonder of ancient construction. The hall contains 134 columns. These range from 14 meters or 45 feet in height to 21 meters or 70 feet. The stone drums are adorned with hieroglyphs and figures from the 19th dynasty and later. And now, thanks to the work of conservationists and cleaners, the paint is more visible than ever. The Hypostyle Hall is a towering symphony of beautiful stonework and vibrant colour. It is truly magnificent. But what does it all mean? There are several big questions when it comes to Seti's Hypostyle Hall. The first one? What is the Hypostyle Hall, exactly? The Hypostyle Hall is, well, a hall. It faces east and west, following the primary axis of Karnak Temple. The hall is filled with columns, 134 in total. They stand in three groups. A group of columns to the south, a group to the north, and a group in the centre. The central columns are huge. 21 meters tall, or 70 feet. They tower overhead, and the tops, or capitals, of these columns are distinctive. They flare outward in a wide circle. These circular slabs are much larger than they appear from the ground. You could easily fit 40 to 50 people on top of them. Huge. By comparison, the north and south columns are smaller. They are 14 meters, or 45 feet tall and they are closed at the top. The capitals on these columns do not flare outwards, they fold inwards. So you have two distinct forms. The central columns are taller and have wide, open capitals. The north and south columns are shorter and have narrow, closed capitals. I'll explain the symbolism of that in a moment, but that is the basic structure. 134 columns in three groups. The hall is located between two pylons, those enormous gates and towers that dominate Karnak's skyline. Seti erected this hall between the second pylon of Horemheb and the third pylon of Amunhotep III. 
Previously, this area had been mostly empty space. Seti's father, King Ramesses I, might have celebrated one of his coronations here, and there are small traces of shrines that he commissioned. But those were tiny, maybe even temporary. King Seti completely changed the area. That leads to the second big question. Why did Pharaoh commission this monument? The hypostyle hall is fabulous, but it's so much more than just architecture or beauty. King Seti had a specific function in mind when he commissioned this monument. And in the hall itself, hieroglyphs and art communicate some of the pharaoh's ideas. Around the hall, various passages communicate aspects of Seti's purpose. Apparently, the king's vision for his new monument went as follows. Quote, the king of southern and northern Egypt, lord of the two lands, Men Ma'at Ra, Seti, etc., etc., he has made as his monument this temple, called Seti is effective in the house of Amun. It is located at the front of Ipet Sut, Karnak. It is a place of appearances for Amun-Ra, to rest in his monument, along with Mut and Khonsu in his entourage. End quote. Seti commissioned the hypostyle hall as a resting place for the great gods. Amun-Ra, Mut, Khonsu, and all the lords of Waset could come here to receive offerings, listen to music, and enjoy their divine power. The hall would also be a place of appearance, where Amun-Ra and other deities could appear before the pious and the powerful. That is quite important. Usually, the gods of a temple were hidden. They lived in their tiny shrines at the very heart of the monument. The average person did not see the statues of the gods on a day-to-day basis. During special occasions, like festivals, the gods might come forth out of the temple, and people could see their glittering beauty. But, as a rule, the great gods within their houses were secluded and secret. So, Seti created a place for the gods to appear. In other words, he created a place where the statues could come forth and show themselves to the faithful who assembled. This idea comes across in the hieroglyphs and also in the art. On the walls of the hypostyle hall, Seti shows the gods coming forth in their barks. Amun-Ra and others appear in portable shrines carried by priests. These bark shrines are part of the elaborate festivals when the gods would leave their sanctuaries and parade in public. We see them here in the hypostyle hall, and it's a fair bet that Seti intended this monument to be a resting place for these barks. The portable shrines might stop here during the festival, and the gods would receive offerings from priests and worshippers. Essentially, Seti commissioned the hypostyle hall as a gathering place. The gods, who normally stayed in their shrines, would come here on festivals and special occasions. Simultaneously, the privileged members of Seti's court, the priests, high-ranking officials, and the king's personal favourites, could come to the hypostyle hall to view these gods. So, Seti's hypostyle hall would be a meeting place between the mortal and the divine. It had a tangible purpose for Seti's loyal subjects. So we know the function of the hypostyle hall. What about its name? Today, we call this monument the hypostyle hall, 
but that's a leftover from older generations. It comes from a Greek phrase, hypostyle, meaning under or beneath columns. So hypostyle just describes the monument's architecture. But the hieroglyphs within this monument reveal a much different aspect. Specifically, we learn what Seti called his monument. The pharaoh named this hall, quote, Haut Necher, Ach Seti Meri Amun, M Per Amun. This translates as the temple or God's enclosure. Seti, beloved of Amun, is effective in the house of Amun. It's a grandiose name, but it does reveal several things. Firstly, we learn about Seti's religious intent and the way he viewed his relationship with the great gods. Seti dedicated this hall to Amun. Fair enough, Karnak Temple is the house of Amun in a general sense, but the king also dedicated it to himself. Part of the name for this hall specifically references Seti as effective Ach. Thus, the hall is a physical manifestation of Seti's piety, his excellent contributions to the cosmos. That's classic stuff. Most pharaohs presented themselves as the epitome of good rule and generosity towards the gods. But a name like Seti is effective, Ach Seti, reveals the king's sense of self, how he viewed his relationship to the lords of Karnak. Incidentally, we're going to see this phrase, Seti is effective, show up in several of his monuments. It's kind of a calling card of his building program. So keep the phrase in mind, Ak Seti, Seti is effective. We'll hear that again. Besides the self-glorification, the monument's name also reveals something about its status. Seti called the hypostyle hall a Hot Necher, or God's Enclosure. This term, Hot Necher, is usually associated with a temple as a physical concept. In other words, Seti appears to view this hall as a separate temple within Karnak itself. The monument is not just a decoration or an architectural addition to Karnak. As far as Seti was concerned, this new building was its own individual thing. It existed within the larger precinct, the House of Amun, but it was also its own dedicated shrine. Seti was creating a new temple within the great house. And his temple, like the king himself, would be effective for the god. So the hypostyle hall, named Seti is effective in the house of Amun, was a distinct temple within Karnak. The hall was a resting place, and a place of appearance, where the great gods might come before their subjects. The thing is, none of that is unique in and of itself. Other kings had made their own discrete temples, other kings had commissioned resting places for gods to appear. So it's not the function or the purpose that makes the hypostyle so famous. Of course, the thing that makes this building world-renowned is the design, that forest of columns rising into the sky. Which begs the third question, why did Seti make this monument in this particular design? The stone columns towering overhead are carved to resemble papyrus plants. The twelve central columns, the taller ones, flare out at the top, representing the open fronds of a papyrus. The smaller columns, all 122 of them, have a different form. They taper off as they ascend, 
resembling closed fronds. There is a logic to this. Originally, the hypostyle hall had a roof. Great slabs of stone spanned the gaps between the columns, so most of the hall was shrouded in darkness. But along the central axis, there was a set of windows. The twelve central columns, with their open tops, stand slightly taller than the rest, and on top of those, a set of windows open up. As a result, the sunlight would shine upon the central columns every day. The other columns remained in darkness, hidden beneath the roof. With that in mind, the design of these columns makes more sense. The shorter columns, which are covered in darkness most of the time, they are closed, as if the papyrus plants which they represent are not receiving sunlight. But the twelve central columns, which are taller, they receive a lot of light. So, following the logic of plants, these ones are open. From that perspective, the symbolism is clearer. The hypostyle hall is not a set of stone columns, it is a thicket of papyrus. The columns rise, like plants, to fill the hall with growth. This design is not accidental, it was part of Seti's plan. Why did he do that? Well, the answer lies in the ancient Egyptian worldview, specifically their view of temples as a physical thing. Ancient Egyptian temples are beautiful buildings, lavish houses for the gods, but their design also has an underlying symbolism that connects them with the deeper aspects of reality. The temple itself represents the primeval mound. The primeval mound is the first mound of earth that emerged from the infinite waters at the very start of creation. The primeval mound is the beginning of the universe, and because it emerged from water, the mound naturally acts as a home for plant and animal life. Bringing that together, you can imagine the temple of Karnak from that perspective. The monument rises from the mud and soil, like the primeval mound of creation. To enhance that image, Seti filled the temple with an artificial thicket, a papyrus forest in stone, dark and mysterious. The hypostyle hall is a resting place for the gods, and a location where they can gather to appear. It is also an enormous forest, a verdant expanse of growth created out of stone. From a purely physical perspective, the monument is an impressive piece of architecture, but when you get deeper into the symbolism and the kind of religious magic of it all, the temple is a place of life. It is a place for the gods to appear and to bring good order to the world, and it is a place that represents the very beginnings of the universe. When the faithful entered Karnak Temple, they were leaving the mortal world and entering into a place of the divine. The hypostyle hall was intended to communicate that clearly and impressively. I think it worked. After the break, we continue to explore the hypostyle hall. Seti's magnificent contribution to Karnak Temple has many more secrets to reveal. In a moment, we will continue our tale of this fabulous monument.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. King Seti I made his monument. With his new building, Seti intended to amaze the gods and the people of Egypt. We hear about this in the monument. Quote, Seti has made the temple, Seti is effective, in good white sandstone. Its beauty reaches up to the limit of the sky, shining like the sun disk, Aten, and everyone is amazed to look upon it. Seti has embellished the house of Amun, the god who enabled him to conquer all peoples, so that they, the foreigners, should also adore his beauty. Indeed, Amun causes the chiefs of the foreign countries to come to Seti, their backs laden with the best products of every land. Their children parade before their tribute, and they come to fill the storehouses with sacred offerings. End quote. Seti's hypostyle hall, a distinct temple in its own right, would also be the reception place for wealth. Tribute would flow from foreign lands. Prisoners and slaves would be abundant thanks to Amun-Ra's blessings. And all good things, the products of trade and tribute, would fill the storehouses of the temple. They would serve the gods. You may be wondering, if all of this wealth was flowing into Karnak, Did that mean that it belonged to the gods? When treasure and tribute filled the storehouses, who owned it, the deities or the king? Well, it's complicated, and it varies depending on the historical period. I'm going to cover the topic in more detail as the narrative progresses, but for now, here's a quick summary. In the 19th dynasty, the age of Seti and the Ramessids, the Egyptian pharaohs used the temples kind of like banks, But not the average bank, where you and I or a small business might go to beg for some of our own money. No, the pharaohs used temples like private banks, treasure vaults for wealth and trinkets. The actual ownership of the wealth was nuanced. Officially, the pharaoh gave this treasure to the god as an offering. But that didn't mean the gods or their priests controlled it necessarily. Instead, the temple was more like Seti's piggy bank, an enormous safety deposit box that he could use for security and storage. That's the situation in the 19th dynasty, and the 18th before it. Later, things will change. The temples will become more influential as economic and political institutions. But for now, you can imagine Seti donating, quote-unquote, his wealth to Amun, Gold, silver, gems, and treasures would fill the storehouses and facilities. But while this treasure belonged to Amun-Ra, Seti still owned it and controlled it. Again, that's just a brief summary. We will explore the nuances of these relationships more in the future. Seti donated huge quantities of wealth to Amun-Ra and Karnak, but that didn't mean the king became poorer as a result. Anyway... King Seti I made his monument for the great father, Amun-Ra. 
This idea is summarized in an image. Beside one of the gates, in the north wall of the temple, Seti's artists carved a scene of the king. This image is probably my favorite from the entire hypostyle hall. It shows Seti presenting the monument itself to the great gods. The king stands before Amun-Ra and Mut, the mother. He raises one hand to greet them. His other hand clutches an Ankh symbol, the symbol of life. The Ankh points downward, and just below it there is a small building. The building is stylized, it looks like a pylon tower, and at a glance you might not notice it. But hieroglyphs around this scene reveal the purpose. They say, quote, giving the house to its lord. Another way of translating that would be giving the temple to its lord, the god. This image shows Seti presenting the hypostyle hall as a distinct temple to the great deities. Amun-Ra and Mut receive this new house from their favoured son. The deities are happy to receive the gift. Amun-Ra speaks to Seti, and he says things like, I give to you all life, stability, and dominion like Ra. The mother, Mut, says, I give to you bravery like Ra. I give you all life, stability, and dominion. And above the scene, a sun disk, symbol of Ra, also gives life, stability, dominion, and health. Basically, Seti gives the temple. In return, he gets power and longevity. A sweet deal, if you can get it. I love images like these. Scenes of offerings, war, prayers, and celebration, those are great, but they tend to follow a rigid pattern. It is wonderful when the artists throw something novel into the mix. And an image like this, Seti presenting a miniature version of his temple, is a great little scene. It also has a function. By putting this image here, Seti can ensure that his offering, the hypostyle hall, is preserved for eternity. The columns may fall, the sand may fill the space, but so long as this carving survives, there is a backup. The gods can always see the monument, and Seti's gift endures forever. The gods were pleased with Seti's project. At least, he hoped they were. Across the monument, hieroglyphs proclaim Seti's dedication to the various deities. We also find texts describing their response. At the very top of one column, a passage reveals Amun-Ra's view of the hypostyle hall. The god says, quote, My son of my body, whom I love, the lord of the two lands, Men Ma'ad-Ra, created by Ra, how beautiful is this enduring and splendid monument that you have made for me. O Horus, repeating of births, you have made my house festive once again. How exalted! How greatly enlarged is the temple precinct, more than what existed before. The council of gods, which is in Karnak, is pleased beyond measure. Their hands are filled with life and dominion and millions of said festivals. For the king of southern and northern Egypt, Men Ma'adra, the Horus who appears in Waset. End quote. The gods adored Seti's gift and they would see the hypostyle hall, the temple Seti is effective, for all eternity. Alas, Seti himself did not live to see this project finished. The king started the hypostyle hall early in his reign, and for a good ten years, builders worked on the monument, 
raising the columns, preparing the surfaces, and decorating the space. But the hypostyle hall was an enormous project. By the time Seti died, the decoration was only half finished. It fell to later generations to complete the decorative work. When you wander through the hypostyle hall today, you will actually see three pharaohs represented. Seti's art dominates the northern half of the monument, and several of the columns. The rest of it came about under his successors, Ramesses II and Ramesses IV. That makes the hypostyle hall a blend of different periods. Fortunately, each ruler has a distinctive style and pattern in their art, so if you look closely, you can still find Seti among the later generations. The king may not have lived to see his work completed, but for the well-prepared tourist, it is easy to find Seti waiting in his place of appearance. Seti's great contribution to Karnak, the hypostyle hall, is truly a wonder for the ages. The towering columns have endured for three millennia, and although they've endured catastrophes like earthquakes and collapses, the monument stands tall once again. Today, the hypostyle hall is a favoured destination for tourists, but the monument has a lot more going on than just columns and size. If you look closer and study the artistic images or the hieroglyphs, you can learn a great deal about Seti's vision for this temple. The king had a distinct idea of what he wanted to contribute, and it's so much more unique than your average pylon or courtyard. The hypostyle hall is justifiably famous, but it's definitely one of those monuments that deserves closer inspection. Unfortunately, I can't cover everything about the monument in a single episode, but maybe that's part of its appeal. The monument is so big, so intricate, and so beautifully decorated that you really can't absorb it on a single visit. I'll try to come back to the hypostyle in future tales, and at some point I will put together a YouTube video about the construction and decoration of the monument. Hopefully, this episode has given a solid introduction to the greater meanings behind the monument. But I have to confess, even I don't feel that I've really captured the magnificence or the symbolism of what Seti was building. Hopefully, in the future, I can revisit the hypostyle and add more to the story. But for now, we must leave things here. Let us leave Amun-Ra, Mut, and Konsu resting in their shrines amid the great thicket of papyrus. Let us leave Seti as he watches the hall rise. The columns are impressive, towering overhead, and the great slabs of stone require intricate decoration and painting. There are many amazing monuments within Egypt, but truly, the hypostyle hall deserves that name, a monument for eternity. This brings us to the end of this episode. Next time, we will visit the royal palace. We will explore Seti's life within the residence. We will meet his wife, the Queen of Egypt. And we will meet his son. King Seti had a son. The boy's name was Rameses. And he would rapidly become a prominent part of his father's regime. Next time, we will explore Seti's home life and get to know the young prince Rameses. The next episode will release in two weeks. 
Next week, there is a public holiday here in New Zealand, and I'm going to take the opportunity for a rest, recharge some of those mental batteries. So I will see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this exploration of the great Hypostyle Hall. Seti dedicated the Hypostyle Hall to Amun-Ra, and I in turn must dedicate this episode to many priests. These fine folks are the top-tier supporters on Patreon.com, and their generosity allows me to pay for resources about ancient Egyptian monuments, and I can go deeper on the ancient records thanks to their support. The priest-level patrons are Veronica, Paul, Ashley, Martha, Stephen, Naden, Kyla, Evan, Andy and Chelsea, Mykost, Yola, TJ, Terry, and Linda. My thanks to all of you for your generosity. I hope that this episode, like the Hypostyle Hall, is effective and beneficial in your sacred house. May Amun-Ra, Moot, and Konsu bring blessings to your land, and may you enjoy a happy appearance. Hello folks, Dominic here. If you have a moment, I would like to tell you about the sponsor of this episode, Ra Egyptian Skincare. Across the walls of Seti's hypostyle hall, we find the king making offerings to the gods. Among the many, many gifts, the king offered flowers and oils, beautiful perfumes and cosmetics to adorn the powerful deities. If you are interested in some Egyptian-style treatments, check out Ra Egyptian Skincare. One offering you may enjoy is the Desert Date Oil Serum. This clean, non-greasy product smooths the skin, rebuilds your moisture barrier, corrects discoloration, and helps soothe damage or compromised areas. Ra Egyptian's Desert Date Oil Serum can be used as a morning and night moisturizer, or in combination with other creams and SPF products. To learn more, follow the link in the episode description or visit ra-egyptian.com. And to get a discount on your order, use the checkout code EGYPT. That will net you 30% off your order. 30%? That's a better deal than Amun-Ra gave Seti, and you don't have to build a hypo-style hall to get it. Once again, follow the link in the description, or visit ra-egyptian.com and use the discount code EGYPT for 30% off. My thanks to Ra Egyptian for supporting the History of Egypt podcast. And now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. From a revolution of hope and liberty to the infamous reign of terror. You can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So search for the French Revolution today.